Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us today to continue on with our fixed income conversation. Glad to welcome back Leslie Falconio, the head of taxable fixed income strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Leslie, great to be with you as always. Thank you for dropping by Top of the Morning and for spending some time with our listeners and clients. Welcome back. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Now, Leslie, I know you're joining us today to talk about the latest edition of the monthly fixed income strategist publication. The title for the latest edition is Can You Hear Me Now? So maybe, Leslie, we can begin with rates. I'm sure our listeners, our clients have taken notice how rates have been on the rise. So how have rising rates, Leslie, and even demand for a high risk premium, how has that impacted the fixed income landscape as of late? Well, you know, I think that when we think about, you know, U.S. interest rates, particularly what's happened over the year, and and frankly, when we have to look at the projections at the beginning of the year, it's, it's important to look at how much, you know, these sentiments, you know, the you know, economics and the, and the Fed's path has shifted. Because when you think about it, when we started in 2022, in December, you know, the Fed was only thinking about doing 75 basis points total in 22. We started off with a 10-year yield of about 1.5%. And this has quickly really, you know, transitioned. I mean, even even after the Fed had retired the word transitory and recognized that inflation was here to stay a bit longer than what they thought, and even after, you know, the conflict with, you know, Russia and Ukraine, you know, we still have, as we've seen from this previous CPI, this elevated inflation that, that has caused, obviously caused the Fed, you know, a bit of discomfort and the only way that they you know, that they can sort of mitigate this is to sort of lower the consumer demand, which is continuously hike the Fed fund rate. So when we think about where we are right now, the market's pricing in right about uh, end of year Fed fund rate at about 4.2 around that around that for and the end of 22. So you've gone from okay, they're going to go 75 basis points to the start of 2022 to now it could be 4 percent, it could be over 4 percent. Um, by the end of 2022, obviously we don't know this yet. I mean, we have the we have the meeting on September 21st. Even though the there has become a bit of a higher probability of 100 basis point rate increase, that's not our projection. 75 is very likely, probably by in another 75 and possibly 50 by the end of the year. So when we think about how much this has shifted, and, and because of that shift, how much interest rates have moved as we've gone from that one and a half percent in the beginning of the year to the three and a half percent high that we saw in June, you know, these are obviously not only headwinds to an investor total return as yields rise, but also how quickly they've occurred has been an issue in terms of, you know, what we call certain spread risk. Now I will say this, given the amount of volatility that we've seen on the interest rate side, overall, except for maybe these pockets of vulnerability that we saw in June, you know, Risk assets in terms of this, on the spread side and on the, you know, risk premium side, it has actually held in fairly well when you take everything in a bigger picture standpoint. And what I mean by that is because now the market is thinking this four, four, four percent, four, maybe four and a quarter, a little higher by March, even March of 2023, you know, the more restrictive the Fed becomes, the more concerned the market becomes that a more aggressive slowdown might actually take place, and therefore, you know, they, they start to price in a recession, and therefore, one would think credit spreads would really blow out, and we haven't necessarily seen that. But with that said, we have to pay attention as to where we are in the overall cycle. We have to pay attention that and, and acknowledge that it takes time when the Fed moves to when it gets into actual economic activity. We have to, when the lead of the Fizz was, can you hear me now? Because the market finally has listened to 
really the Fed path, and it has it has to adjust to the potential of seeing possibly these four handles on the Fed funds rate. So with that said, you have to be fairly selective. Now, overall, the magnitude or the headwind of the interest rate rise that we've seen, you know, from the start of the year to that high in June, we believe is behind us. And what I mean is that that incremental percentage headwind, right, you go from one and a half to three and a half percent, you know, the fixed income investors have faced that. When we think about going forward, even though we believe right now that 3.5% may be the high, even if it's 375 or 390, that impact, the percentage impact is going to be much less. So when we think about it, where it, you could have carry now and the fact that interest rates rising is not going to be less of an impact, the focus needs to shift on where we are in the credit cycle and where you want to be in terms of adding credit risk to your overall portfolio. So, Leslie, I'm curious, and you might have alluded to this a bit already, though, why has forecasting the peak in yields become such a challenge here in 2022 relative to previous years? Is it in part a function of the Fed? I mean, listen, the, the data, it's, it's very difficult with the, the, the magnitude of both monetary and fiscal stimulus um, to accurately project um, a lot of these economic performance variables, whether it's the CPI, whether it's wages, you know, whether it's things like the, the job openings data, you know, there's, there's just, it's been become very, very difficult to project these kind of economic variables because we've had a lot of sort of cloudiness when we're still dealing with this from the from COVID. And I think that because we're in, not only just because in the amount of liquidity that was entered to the marketplace, but also that it is an, an unusual circumstance given the impact of COVID that because these um, projections and actual numbers are very wide or can be very wide. And again, CPI is, is a case in point. You know, you have this nervousness within the marketplace, which causes these knee-jerk reactions, and and the market kind of has these jitters. Now, that'll probably, you know, that'll probably continue, but I do think it'll be with less of a magnitude, because once the Fed sort of, or the market believes the Fed, will stop raising the Fed funds rate once you once they believe that peak rate is hit, maybe it's four and a quarter, Right. And then the, what will happen is the market will start to calm down and it will rally. Two-year yields will come down. Ten-year yields will come down. Even if the, they don't ease, even if from, it doesn't have to be a recession, once you reach the peak rate and the market believes that they have stopped, then that will occur. And because they've been so aggressive by not only pushing it forward, but also the magnitude by which they're hiking by, right, 75 has become the new 25, and because this is all priced in, that, you know, when we think about how the volatility react going forward, it, sh- it should be less. Now, it's going to be volatile to the end of the year, we, 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 you know, for the next three or four months. But once they start to get closer to that peak, yields will start to come down, particularly that short end, even the 10-year side. And we'll have a bit more clarity as to when that actual peak rate will occur. But obviously, as the Fed, as the Fed has dictated, it's data-dependent and, unfortunately, Projections and actuals have a very wide dispersion. Leslie, you mentioned the 10-year a moment ago with the 10-year yield having recently reached a new high of the year. What's your outlook from rates? Where do we go from here? Well, the 10-year reached a high in June, right? It reached 3.5%. And I think what really what is important about that is that 
you know, they reached three and a half percent because the Fed had, after a very strong CPI number, right? If you look for June, it's kind of similar. The, the, you know, the Fed was in sort of that, that quiet period before their FOMC. They did the first 75 basis point rate hike that they hadn't done since the 90s. And now the market's come a little bit more accustomed to that kind of move, particularly given the vast amount of Fed rhetoric that we've had, not just from Powell, but all, all of his constituents, that's really sort of towing that same line. So now when we have these 75 basis point rate hikes and we have a strong CPI, you don't, the market didn't go over 3.5%, right? The yield didn't go over. So, you know, it's really difficult to project the actual top in yield this year. As we all know, it's been a really, as as I mentioned earlier, because of these anomalies, these divergence from actuals versus expectations, it's become very difficult to to actually have a pinpoint to where interest rates are going to stop rising. But what you do is that you look at what is the market pricing in? And how, and how would that variable, how does it, how will the volatility from what the market is pricing in, that's will dictate whether or not the fixed income side either makes money or it doesn't. And because they become so, the market has become so aggressive after, you know, whether it's Humphrey Hawkins or his testimony Cato or what we saw in terms of CPI, it has a really strong, uh, Fed fund path priced in this four and a quarter, four thirty. So when when we say it's a peak in yield, then it's our belief that yeah, I mean three and a half percent, in our opinion, is the peak. That does not mean that you're not going to have knee jerk reactions where you go to three seventy because you know one day we have a strong number. But overall, we're what we're doing is incrementally adding interest rate risk, and in, in, and I know we'll talk about this a bit later in smaller amounts. We're not taking out a huge amount of interest rate risk because of volatility, but you incrementally add as yields go up. And we do think that over the long term, that 3.5% will, will prove to be a very good buying opportunity. So, Leslie, in the moments remaining today, maybe we can touch on allocation within fixed income for a few moments. How are you currently recommending that fixed income investors consider an allocation into fixed income at this time in consideration of the current environment and what might lie ahead in the months to come? Yeah, because, listen, you know, what what the market does, um, the more restrictive the Fed becomes, the more concerned the market becomes that further down the line there's going to be a significant slowdown. Okay, so when we think about that, and the market will price that in, you know, it's it's going to be yet we have very strong jobs, so it's going to be yet to be seen, but the market will start pricing pricing that in because, again, it takes time when they when they hike rates to actually work its way into the system and have the consumer feel it, whether it's mortgages, you know, your credit card, your auto loan, all these kinds of things that are headwinds to, to consumers. But I do think that, you know, when we look at how we want to structure fixed income now is that, you know, because of where we are in this cycle, um, as well, it's, this is not a time to take on what we call a huge amount of credit risk. When I say credit risk in your portfolio, I mean that versus, say, like a treasury or something that is a, a really a higher-grade sector, right? Because, first of all, as I mentioned in the, when we first started this conversation, there, we haven't seen this huge amount of widening in, in, uh, in risk premium. I mean, they're wider, yes, but this is not sort of like these recession-type levels. So we don't want to take this a huge amount of credit risk on on its own. What we are doing is we have this this continuous sort of up in quality kind of allocation and are working our relative value allocations within credit. So what I mean by that is, as we know, we have things like agency mortgage-backed securities on because this the, the widening that we've seen in the agency MBS side is due to, one, that we see this is the highest mortgage rate we've seen in like 15 years. Number two, the concern over 
quantitative tightening is within the mortgage side. So we have all these, we have these spreads and MBS that are at, you know, decade wide. So we like that in these, this is a sector that's AAA. We also like short-end corporates because, again, that's a higher quality type of allocation. You are able to earn, you know, just an incremental carry, and you're not sort of getting too far over your skis in terms of lower quality credit. Now, on the credit side, what we're doing, what we did was a more type of relative value within credit. So we moved one credit to another. So we, you know, after people who follow our, our strategy know that we were we were long senior loans for a very long period of time. We started in 2020. We had gotten out in the at the end of the first quarter of this year because the performance did exceptionally well for senior loans. And obviously, because of the rise in rates that we've seen, the inflows to floating rate assets have been very strong, right, to protect yourself against that headwind of rising interest rates. Well, as we, as we take a look now and we get closer to this 3.5%, as the Fed sort of shifts tune and the market reprices itself to a much more restrictive Fed with a much higher Fed fund rate, you know, when we see where we are in, in yields, it's not a bad time to move from the fixed from floating to fix. It's not a bad time to go for those sectors that, you know, although on, on isolation on themselves are not cheap, but versus one another, you know, senior loans have outperformed high yield by over 11% this year. So we're going from the floating to the fixed. We're taking advantage of the fact that senior loans have just landslided in outperformance because of a lot of inflows and because of rising rates. So, and so that's sort of the allocations that we're doing. So we have up in quality, short end IG, agency mortgage backed securities, and, you know, a shift in our credit allocation from floating to fixed, you know, and also, too, from trying to mitigate possible um, headwinds which would be faced going forward in terms of, you know, having interest coverage concerns or having default concerns and such. So that's, that's really been our overall strategy. But the theme is up in quality and relative value within the credit portfolio, not to add on large amounts of credit exposure at this point in the credit cycle. Leslie, very productive conversation today. Thank you for joining us here on Top of the Morning to share with us your current thinking outlook for rates, performance expectations for the broader asset class, and for the guidance when it comes to allocation within. Plenty here we can follow up on. Again, I do want to point our listeners to the latest edition of the monthly fixed income strategist publication, that title, Can You Hear Me Now?, which is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Though again, Again, this morning, we've been joined by Leslie Falconio, the head of taxable fixed income strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Thank you again, Leslie. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.